From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in extraplanetary, multi-form, mobile Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are milestone builds and wikis in guides. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Y'all! You did it. Well yes! Done. First try, too. I know, you nailed it. That was really First good. First try! I mean, you're bearing the lead here. Stuck uh, the landing. <laughs> Stuck the landing. No, the, the most important thing right now is that, that Stephen... <laughs> The most important thing we need to discuss right now is how Stephen absolutely stuck that. Right, and not that the reason he had to stick it is because what we're going to talk about at the top of the show is that you're finally playing Metroid Dread. I'm finally, finally playing Dread. Yes. yes. I very much enjoyed it so far. Yeah. I really do like it. It's good. Um, it's good I'm good at shooting stuff. I'm good at spinny stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I got, Those are the two things. I got yeah. That. <laughs> That's really most of the game, isn't it? Shooting and spinning. Yeah. Shooting and spinning. Well, and I, uh, I got, I just got the grapple beam not too long ago, and I killed Craig again. I guess I've killed yep. him so many times over the yeah, years. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Shot him in his ugly belly button. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly more ugly this time. The graphics have gotten better. <laughs> yeah, it's just really nasty. Uh huh. Um, he's got to get that looked at. <laughs> I mean, he, he's dead, I guess. And I have a hard time with that. Yeah. yeah he's, he's we melted him. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, he's really kind of into melting people like Krakemeyer. And anyway, um, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. And it's interesting as since I, Super Metroid was one of the very first video games that I played like religiously on my own. And it's interesting how my play style has changed since then. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think my play preferences have, mm-hmm. but I've learned more about like, that game right? Yeah. and the franchise and how it really, I don't know, just really encourages you to be hyper aggressive with the bosses, like get in their faces and blow them yeah, up with missiles. It does. And that wasn't, that wasn't my natural, that's not my natural inclination with anything. Right. Mm-hmm. But like now that I know that about Metroid games and it's really become, it's like seeped in and it's like soaked into my fingers, um, I can beat the bosses much faster. Yeah. I, I'm, that's not my normal play style for bosses. I very much like to like assess the situation mm-hmm. and like try to do it as perfectly as possible from a distance. Same. It's yeah. like, <laughs> it's, I guess it's overly cautious. And there are a lot of games that let me do that. And it takes forever because they don't want you to do it that way. No. But the, you can do it that way. Yeah. And so I will. But Metroid, at least this new one, does not let you do it that way. No. It, it, mm-hmm. it punishes you for trying. And so I got out of that habit pretty quick. Yeah. Playing that one. Yeah. Well, and she, like, one of the things I really like about Dread uh, is how well they take just a few minutes or a few seconds at the beginning of every boss fight in in the cutscene where they're introducing the boss to show you basically like this is how you beat the thing but they're not just showing the mechanics they're also showing like this is the attitude you gotta take Ah. to beat this thing and it was one of the things i really liked about the the boss fight with craig um i guess spoilers but whatever um you guys have all you guys have all (laughs) i know it's been out for so long (laughs) everyone's been playing it except for me um where, because like she like stands there, and here's this here's this guy that she's killed like again. I guess he's mm-hmm. back, and she just like stands aside and she just charges up her gun and shoots him in the face, and she doesn't even move. And I just really liked that about it because it wasn't just you know showing the player how you beat the boss, but also like you should stand here and just shoot him in the face. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. 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 You you said you're on your third Emmy. I don't remember. Okay. There was a the last one I saw was purple, and that was the one right before the cutscene with Ravenbeak. Yeah, and the other Chozo. So, how do you feel about the Emmys being so neon colored? Because that I don't know we talked about that, but like yeah, that we have. bothered me a little bit. Really, it just felt so like 
the, one of the MS Paint colors. Oh, okay. it didn't seem it. It didn't seem well designed I, like visually. I mean, sure. I I I don't think that the colors were particularly great about the Emmys. I, yeah, I would agree with that take. Like it didn't like they weren't. I don't know. They seem so dangerous, but they're like also bright. Yeah. So it's like I think the purpose that that maybe was so they stood out more in the background. I mean, it was, I was supposed to make sure that you know that they're different creatures because they all have yeah. different patterns and stuff. That's true. But you will never face more than one at a time. Yeah. And you're never having to think about more than one at a time. Right. So I don't know why they did that. And none of the marketing clued you into that. So when the first one that was a different color popped up, I'm like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I guess I, I had thought it was important to know that they're different because there were some some different experiences that came up in the fights against yeah. them. So like yeah. when right before I thought that Emmy, I think was it the was it the green one or the yellow one? It was green one mm. where you get the speed boost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that thing was coming at you fast. Yep. Well, speed boost. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I thought that it was important to be able to like map those yeah. experiences, like the things that you yeah. were unlocked. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, it, th- I, think but... it's, I, I don't think it's a, it's vital, but I, li- I think it's maybe a good idea. Yeah. I just, they just should have chosen more subtler, little, mm. more subtler palettes. Sure. And what they could have done is they could have tinted the, the Emmy zones. That is the domain of that Emmy mm-hmm. in that those colors potentially because yeah. that that helps you later on in your exploration to know which zone you're in. Yeah. It can help you memorize. I and think that, it, so. I feel like they kind of made that would have been useful for another purpose that they didn't yeah. use it for. I think mm-hmm. in general there was a lot of things about the Emmys I did not like. Yeah, that's yeah. You'd said that before. It yeah, wasn't well, quite your well, wasn't well, quite your thing. When when Ellen finishes it and we have our big old Metroid Dread special, yeah. uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I like the bright colors. Yeah. It okay. actually made me feel like it was a piece of industrial equipment that had been. Oh, that's interesting. Co-opted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, like the yellow is definitely construction zone yellow. It definitely <laughs> feels like construction zone yellow, but yeah. also like is there an orange one? I don't remember. I don't know. Probably. Is a green one, a purple one? Is the yellow one? You know, aren't the there seven ones? of them? I would imagine. No, but the one of them, the first one is white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was going to so say like, the second one. It's the rainbow colors, but that's not. What Isn't it is. the second one white too? Oh, I think you're right. Like the the no, I don't. Broken, the broken one they, they teach the you. The first one is yeah. the one they teach you, which is funny because the white Emmy is the one in all the marketing. Right. But that's the one that's broken and you yeah. beat right away. Yeah. It is funny. Um, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe the next full dangerous one is also white, but I don't think so. I just don't remember. I don't remember, I don't remember either. Oh, it was so long ago. It was so, yeah, like, it's like four hours ago. I mean, if you so think I realize, it was long. I realized this was a thing I haven't talked to anybody about. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up. Well, that's just, yeah. That's I, yeah. So I like the bright colors. I like yeah. the bright colors on the Emmy because. Um, after dying so many times to the Emmy, the color of the Emmy doesn't make any difference in terms yeah. of my emotional reaction. Like, to the I Emmy. may be dead 12 times over, but you're tacky. So, <laughs> who's the loser here exactly? Right. Uh, <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Cool. It's That's really good. fun. Um, um, yeah. I'm going to bring up this thing, I guess, this next topic. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, we're both dying. Mark and I are dying to know what this bullet point means. Okay. All right. All right. So, 15 years ago, 2007. <laughs> <laughs> Andre 3000 of Outcast uh-huh. made a cartoon called Class of 3000. Yeah. And he produced all the music in the cartoon. And like, he, you know, he was a voice. He was the, he was the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and my brother watched it. Um, it got canceled after two seasons. Um, and I don't, I think the official reason is like they just transitioned to new cartoons. I, I know that like, I know that one thing was like there was a lawsuit involved or something where like somebody had the idea first and they were like, well, we came up with this idea and I talked to this person about it and you should have given me credit or some junk. You know, celebrity projects attract those kinds of lawsuits, yeah. but sometimes they're legitimate. Yeah. I don't know about this one. But... I, I don't I don't know all the details of it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, um, I was reintroduced to it this weekend because my brother brought it up uh, like on Friday or something. 
And then I just like started looking up some of the music that they had in it. And, you know, music is popping mm-hmm. in the show. A lot <laughs> of it is, yeah. Um, and I just started watching some of the episodes and stuff. And it just, it, it still holds up. Yeah. At nice. least for me, maybe part of that is nostalgia. But, like, I don't know. It's, it's still funny. I That's so funny because, I mean, like, I think Hey Ya was the big crossover hit for mm. Outcast or Andre Throne specifically. Yeah. But this didn't happen that long after no, that. Yeah. And yet I've never heard of it. I know. A lot of people hadn't heard of it. I, yeah. The only person other than, other than my brother is like one other friend of mine huh. who's heard of this, this show. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of fascinating that like no one has heard about it. I think it's good. Yeah. I think that like, basically the, the way that the, the show was like, picture the magic school bus, but like Andre 3000 is the teacher. And they're in a music school, uh-huh. so Love he's it. just teaching about music and stuff. <laughs> okay, yep, I need to watch. And this. it's also set in Atlanta. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah. like legitimate music lessons. I mean, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe Magic School Bus in style, but maybe not in spirit. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 a it's a kids cartoon, so you still like learn a moral lesson at the end of the episode or whatever. But like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It's funny. It's. It's it's fun. It's entertaining. Yeah, I recommend it. Look up some of the music, y'all, because it's good. I'll, we'll probably link some. In you know, that's an interesting. When you become an adult and yeah. discover one of the things you when you were younger, mm-hmm. like that starts happening more and more. Yeah, you know, the first time it happened to me was when I rediscovered the Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. I got really into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. after like more than a decade of like not thinking about it for a second. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, some of the songs like were in my head, and they, you yeah. know have been in my head for. This whole time, but like I just didn't like actively think to like go back and watch episodes until my brother brought mm-hmm. it up. So you know, I've just been going through some of the episodes and stuff. You can, I guess, you can buy the episodes on um, on iTunes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not streaming anywhere. No, it's not streaming anywhere, as far as I understand. So well, we'll find a link or something and put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll link to an article I read about it that was kind of interesting about like the 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 um what what how this uh, show spawned. Like yeah, I'm, I'm. I've always loved hearing behind the scenes stories of stuff I've never heard of. Yeah, I'm more interested in that usually than watching it. So mm-hmm. I'd like to hear about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, I have a piece of news, mm-hmm. which so I mean, well, well, depends on. It might be news. It might not be news, depending on uh, when we do it. But oh. uh, the game I'm working on um, is we're going to announce it in March, and this episode Ooh. comes out in March, March third, I think. Okay, so if we're on the it's ball. Pr- that's probably a little <laughs> early for w- when we our plans, but sure. so it'll be really soon, I think. Which is going to be good because I'm going to be able to talk a lot more about it. Um, I've I've alluded to it, and it's not a big mystery what I'm working on, but um, we're going to be able to talk about it more openly, which is really exciting. Yeah. It's a minor mystery. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, I'm doing some I'm doing some script writing for the announcement trailer, and that's Ooh. been fun yeah. because, you know, they didn't hire me for that, but like <laughs> I have a lot of experience in narrative film, and so it's been really cool that the size of the team has allowed me, and I've talked about this before, has allowed me to just you know flex whatever muscle i want yeah um that's been really exciting and the, the the nature of this project is such that it is we have lots of opportunities to make it whatever we want to mm-hmm. in, in an interesting way like what we designed for it especially when it comes to, like the narrative components it is um there's very little we can't do that our design does not limit us in a lot of ways um but it also does it but it does direct us so it's yeah. been a really cool but nice mix of like a real focused structure but also kind of a whatever we want kind of thing that may, even as we settle in, I'm not describing this very well, but even as we settle in on design decisions, structure and things, yeah. there still remains so many opportunities to create as we do it, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is sometimes very difficult and is can be very frustrating 
I know this happened to us on Widget Satchel. After right. a while, it's, we, it was not fun anymore because you weren't making new things. Yeah. You were just assembling the things you made yeah. or, the, or the, the blueprints that you wrote up or whatever. Yeah. And that happens on a lot of projects. And I feel like this one is a, not totally immune, but it's somewhat resistant to that. Hmm. And that's really, really exciting. That's good. Yeah. Cool. That is cool. But, uh, but yeah, that announcement video should come out at some point. Well, Ooh, I, you know, soon. we'll see. Some point soon. According to how you're listening to it. Yeah. To this episode. Uh-huh. Because we accounted for calendar math. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're growing yeah. as people. <laughs> Just, it took us 251 episodes, but yeah. finally figured it out yep. a little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You guys, like, I woke up today and then and then someone was knocking at the door at 8 a.m. I'm like, what are you doing here, Susan? Susan's my sister. And she's like, you, I was supposed to be here at 8 a.m. I'm like, what do you mean? And that's the level of calendar I'm usually dealing with on weekends. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yep. This is a major improvement, I would say. Mark the occasion. Go on. Yes. Nice games club dot club feedback. Oh, you are so close. <laughs> this is cut that from the show. <laughs> Mark, you, I think this, the topic that you want to talk about today, uh, part of the reason you want to talk about it today is because yeah. you've been dealing with milestone builds in this minor mystery game Yeah. Um, over the last couple of weeks. You've been talking about it here and there, but you haven't been able to give many details. However, like the idea of working towards a milestone is something that you've been considering a lot lately. Yes. We've delivered a couple of these now, mm. and uh, that's a, it's a new process for me. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about how that changes the way you work sure. and how it, how it changes your planning short-term and long-term. Um, so for the game I'm working on, we have um, a setup for with our publisher of seven milestone builds leading up to our original re planned release date. Oh, okay. Everybody is of the understanding that that, that planned release date, because we haven't, even when we announced the game, we won't be announcing that. Yeah. We're not expecting us to hit that date. Sure. That's okay. just kind of what's on the on the board right now. Okay. Um, we're being pretty realistic about it. That's but, good, especially in games. People, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's realistic. I like that. Um, but those are our milestones, and that is related to how we get paid by the publisher. Okay. Mm. So, so we'll have that conversation about when, if we need to go past that, right. what that means for in terms of, you know, how we like fund the project, um, whether that means we just keep going till it's done or whether the publisher feels that they made a you know, misjudgment and wants to fund a little more. That's a conversation that we're going to have to have if we need to have it. Right. But the but related to this topic, it's set up in such a way that it's a it does a couple of things. One, it like marks time, and so it it's it everyone gets paid. So that's mm -hmm. like a, just a logistics element. It's a yeah. good thing to tie it to, right? Um, and of course, as we send the milestone to the publisher, it lets them know that they that like it's we're worth paying for, right? Yeah. And that, and that sets us up for the next thing. But it also really um, signposts a lot of our features as we build them. Okay. And I think this is not that unlike what uh, um, small teams and indie developers do when they do quote unquote milestone builds for other purposes. Yeah. So um, I think the, the uh, I have it written out of order here, but I think I want to talk first about why you might need one. So, sure. um, you know, if a publisher wants one or if you're submitting to a publisher or an investor um, or you have sort of a, a big playtest coming up or a convention you're showing at or yeah. a demo that you're releasing. Something where you would want to be able to like stick a flag and say, this is version 0 .0 .0 0 0.0.0.1 mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, or really what you should be doing is you should be <laughs> naming your builds by date when you're when, before you have any release numbers. Uh, <laughs> and that is what we're doing. Yeah. But um, so what is a milestone build? 
Mm. Right? It's not. It's just the name. Big deal. I think I'm sure. I'm sure studios have their own definitions of this. I don't know that there's a standard, but uh, it, but when you are working with a publisher, mm. uh, this is usually the terms, the, the phrase we use, and it's basically it's a, it's a build you can give to someone. Right. Like that. Mm. Maybe it's broken. Maybe there's pieces that aren't working. Certainly not all your features are added, but you can hand it to someone and trust that they will find what it is that is in the milestone. Yeah. Right. A lot of times your build is in a state of you press play in Unity and it goes into level three because that's the level you're working on yep. and whatever. And yep. you have to do blah, 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 blah. Like there's a lot that the developers know that they don't, but you need to build some framework. So sometimes a milestone build is going to need something like a menu. Right. Or certainly a way to quit the game, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Alt F4 doesn't work for that. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you're, it's up to you to decide. Like mm. do you, you know, especially if you're having a relationship with 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 that person who you're giving it to. Yeah. Um, and whether that's a publisher or that's a playtester or whatever it is, um, or the public if it's a demo or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you have that conversation with them. So you can say like, here's the build, here's the dot text file that you need to read to understand yeah. how to use it. Yeah. That's fine. Um, if you have that relationship. But I think what we have tried to do is we've tried to endeavor to make it as painless as possible mm-hmm. for them. And yeah. so what that means is that we we there's a couple of temporary features we put in that we're going to have to take out. Mm-hmm. And so that's, right. that is some extra work. Yeah. Um, but um, basically, the the purpose of the milestone is to show off the things that we have agreed with the publisher will be in this build. Yes. And so what's nice about the, the team we're working with, uh, Noble Robots, um, which is not my company name. It's a different one that sounds the same when you say it fast. Yeah. Um, is uh, that they've been really good about checking in early and saying, like, are we still on track? Do you want us to change it? And it's always a question of, do you want us to change what this milestone is? Right. Um, rather than, are you sure you've got what we've agreed on? Because they understand they the need to be flexible. Yeah. And this project in particular has sort of, you know, needed a little bit of that flexibility. Sure. We've been making things out of the order we plan to. But as soon as we know we do that, we let them know. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're always really cool about it. But then That's once good. we hit that thing, by that point, we've agreed on what it's going to be. And so, um, and I think they're pretty, I think they've been pretty open to like us handing them a, a, um, a broken thing that they can figure out. Yeah. But we've really been trying to make it more presentational. So okay. we've put in the game itself, we have a readme document yeah. that you huh. can you access while you play it to to explain things about this is what happens first or we don't have this notification system in so you just click this and then that's that will set you up on, on where yeah. you're going. You know that that's fascinating that you're focused on it, you know, presenting well yeah. in 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 spite of the fact that like the publisher understands those things. Yep. Because like you you already got the publisher. <laughs> I guess it like it depends on the purpose you're making this milestone build for. Them. Um, and like with, with, uh, we're, we're working on, you know, I guess you can effectively call it a milestone building that like we're trying to pitch the game to, yeah. to publishers and stuff. A polished prototype is kind of what you're after. Right? Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Um, yep. and so our goal is to like have this done in a certain time so we can pitch it for these meetings that we have set up. Um, but like we need it to be presentable because it, you know, it's supposed to impress the publishers cause we don't have them yet. Right. Ah. Yes. Yes. Um, and I guess like ultimately, you know, if, if you make a a, a published uh, or published uh, presentable build, it looks good for you and your publishers in the publisher side, anyways. And so, like, that's a good thing because it improves your relationship with them. Yeah, and I've spoken to you about this privately. Mm-hmm. One of our goals for these to make them presentational and 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 to, and and feel smooth. Yeah, and and with with lots of like caveats about like it won't this won't be how it is, but. For this purpose, you don't need it to know anything, right? So our yeah. readmes are essentially optional. Sure. Um, is 
because we want them to get excited about the project. Right. Because even right. though they're publishing the game, we don't want to. We don't. We never want them to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like it's it's not it's not really fair of us to give them something. It meets the qualifications. Okay, it's milestones complete. We'll send the checks. Yeah. But it's not. It wouldn't be fair of us to give them something and give them any reason to worry. Do you know what I mean? Because they're not okay. they're not in the development process. Yeah. And so part of this is part of this is trying to keep them excited and impressed, right? Yeah. But it's not it's not crass like that. It's really that like we want I never want to give them any sense that we are like if we're behind on a feature and we let them know, then that's great. Mm-hmm. And they've been really good about that. Mm-hmm. But I always want them to feel like excited about where the game is going. Yeah. Sure. And I want I want them to know that we care about how it looks to them and that we made this little extra effort for them. Okay. Not for the game, but for them. And okay. I, I want them to to know how much they matter to us. Yeah. Right? right. And it's it's a little, it's kind of easy for us because we have a really good relationship with them. Yeah. But I think it's important to like not make it any work for them. Like sure. Because the work is for us. Yeah. Right? And when we want something from them mm-hmm. with a, a a particular kind of promotional support. Yeah. Or we want to be involved in something like that, we want them to trust us to to do do help them with some of their job. Right. We want to make sure that they understand how we think and and, tr- and they can trust us to take their concerns seriously mm-hmm. if we want to have suggestions on that. Or what we've done recently is we've been, we, we, we've been wanting to get a little bit more involved in a particular part of the process and because we know that's more of a producer's job. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just something we want them a little more involved in because in order to make it what it needs to be, it would take too much away from our time. Right. And they would also probably be better at it. Mm-hmm. But it was never something we discussed with them before. So making sure that we give them something that they feel strongly about that, so that when we go to them with an ask like that, mm-hmm. it's easier for them to say yes because yeah. they're in a good mood. Yeah. That's, that's you know, our selfish uh, motivation. Yeah. But also, they actually want to do it because – so there's a lot of that. It's trust. That I think. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot about you. trust. And I think that when, you're, huh. when you have a publisher, that is not the end of the story. So that – okay, so that's fascinating because, like, it does sound like – and I'm thinking about it in respect to, like, other purposes why you would want have a milestone build. Yeah. Like, you know, if you wanted to show the game off at PAX. Or you know, pitch to a publisher like we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the those all line up. Like you yeah, ultimately does... want to make something presentable so that the people who are playing the game can feel like they can trust that the you know the finished product is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if if you bring a polished demo that's one level and it's got a really serious bug in the middle. Yeah, but it has a really good onboarding and offboarding experience for the person at the demo. Yeah, they're more likely to trust your team and to and then you know wishlist the game. Um, and so all of that applies in any context. I yeah. Think. Okay. Yeah. I'm reminded of when we showed Treasure Stack off at PAX. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a significant, there was an issue that people were having in the um, in the in the tutorial where people were learning the game. Like I, I think a lot of people were having difficulties like getting through the tutorial because like it wasn't quite as intuitive as as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. They didn't and, give you a lot of time to make that. I I remember. Um. I don't know the whole the whole development. Yeah, and yeah, I guess like I, um, looking back, I, I'm sure I did some things that weren't great. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. It's like the way I think of milestone builds is like there's going to be a bunch of hard coded crap that you're not going to want <laughs> in your game after a while because you just need to make sure that that works for this specific thing at this moment. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a cynical way of looking at it, but mm-hmm. that's. I, 
working on Findance for long enough. <laughs> That's kind of how I had done it. Well, yeah, it's I mean, we, we would do like this. weekly play tests yeah. of games we were working on, and we don't need to have it in a place that you could bi- make a build. Right. Which yeah. meant all the things you were working on needed to be like hidden because they weren't finished. Yeah. Right. Or they were broken. Yeah. Or they need to be finished in some way. Right. So they could be tested. Done enough. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so, like, I, I think that, like, when we showed it off at PAX, uh, those those dif- difficulties that people were having with the tutorial um, was uh, detrimental to the success of Treasure Stack. Yeah. Ultimately, I think a little bit. Like, I don't know if, like, I, when you're at PAX, you're just playing a bunch of games. So, like, yeah. unless the game really sticks out in your mind as, mm-hmm. you know, the, I'm going to get this game, um, it's not that big of a deal. But, like, I don't know. It, it, I think it had some impact. Yeah. And you have to have, you have to kind of decide, like, you have to tailor to your audience, right? So, right. like, if you're if you're sending to a publisher, mm-hmm. you can say, well, instead of finishing the tutorial, we'll just take it out and we'll give them a document. Yeah, because they're gonna read the document. Right, right. But when you bring it to a public event, you have to decide. Well, okay, we haven't tutorialized this feature. Maybe we should just remove the feature for this build. Right, right. It, and and that is really it's. I mean, that's a dangerous thing to do, right? It is. You, the feedback you get isn't going to be quite as what you. It's not quite accurate in that in that case. Yeah. Um. So maybe that's the best example. But like, rather than say, like your reaction to well, this part isn't finished. So what is what's going to be in this milestone? Well, yeah. You know? And ultimately, you're not showing the game off to get people's uh, opinions on this feature, right? Right. You're, so like, it doesn't necessarily matter that the features in the game as right. long as the game is presentable. Now, if you're playtesting a feature, a new feature, yeah. then you are doing that. Be in purpose. there. Yeah. So, yeah. But, so, but that's not. But in the case of showing it off as a demo, you want to get people excited about the premise, about the core yeah. mechanic. Yeah. And so, if you can tutorial just that and then you know but this is why like vertical slices at e3 are mm-hmm. is a, kind of a waste of a bunch of people's time yeah like it feels like it but you know th- that so this falls into that category a yep. little bit um you always see the vertical slice stories where people crunch forever to get them done yeah. and then none of that work ends up in the final game yeah. yeah and so you have to be really cognizant and you have to know it going in yeah you have to say like, well this is a milestone build and if it's for a publisher then like that's the kind of work you don't want to do yeah because that's that kind of impressing them is not going to be any use to anybody yeah but if you're doing it for a demo, maybe it is, and right. and and maybe there is a real purpose to it, yeah. even if it sucks. So what you're never saying, crunch though. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that's so never worth it. Right. You're, I'm saying, I'm hearing a couple things. One, yeah. never crunch. Yes. So yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Um, and then what I'm also hearing is, if we think about demo and milestone builds as maybe separate things, or if you could. It, if you're thinking about making a milestone build, what is the milestone, right? You got to really define yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. Right? Yeah. Like what when you say milestone, let's think about the literal definition of the word, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like a stone that marks a mile. It's a stone that marks distance and progress. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what what is your stone? That's what's what is the thing that's marking distance or progress? Like is it the publisher, you know, looking at it again in, you know, the month since you showed them the last one? Well, then that's going to shape how you want your milestone build to be because you need them to feel a certain way about your progress. Mm-hmm. And only, you know, you have to think about, think about your publisher's perceptions and your relationship with them in that context. If you are creating milestone build to demo it at a conference when you're going to have a bunch of players who've never touched it before and may never touch it again until it gets published or released, mm-hmm. that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really sounds like when you think about making a milestone build, you really got to be clear about what your milestone is. Yeah. And what your goals for creating that build are going to be. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's like this feature is done. 
and that this milestone is all about this feature, yeah. right? Or this milestone is all about this level. Yeah. Sometimes this milestone is progress on these twelve things. Yeah. Right. And so there's no one answer to it. Right. Um. I think it. I think you're exactly right. It's just a matter of taking stock. Right. And and really knowing what the purpose of it is. Right. And, and not just saying, well, mm -hmm. this is as much work as we've done. I'll just make a build. Yeah. Right. Right. And 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 exactly. I think that defines the difference between this and like you know play testing it. I think you play testing a game means that the the build is not finished. And you need to iterate off of it, right? Well, milestone build is supposed to like show you an idea of what the finished product will be. So, like a lot of it should be finished. You shouldn't be look looking for people's feedback. You know that that hmm. is true in a lot of cases. Uh -huh. But sometimes a milestone is about this part of this feature is made. Yeah. Right. You, and and again, it's, yeah. it depends on how your team wants to do it. Right. That's so true. We're not going to make a milestone build until a system is done. And then this milestone will be about that system. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll be about like this is we this is our thirty percent progress on these four systems. Yeah, right. It is. It's all contextual. It all depends on. Okay. But you just have to be really clear about what that is. Yeah. But what you're mm -hmm. right. If you're just playtesting something, then you can just make a build and playtest it. Right. Yes. It's it's depends on like how big a deal is it. Is it a, is it a public playtest where you are less in control of the environment? Then maybe you want to put a little more focus on yeah making it milestoney. Right. Well, right. and I guess like if you're showing the game off to a publisher, you're not I mean, you're not play testing it, but you are showing it and the publisher will give you feedback. Yes. Um it's not necessarily like I mean, you'll iterate off of that feedback, but you're not making it for the purpose of play testing it. You're making it for the purpose of showing the publisher yeah. and ma making sure that what they're trying to sell or help you sell is the game that they hopped on for, right? Yeah, and actually uh, interesting, I have a direct experience with this when mm -hmm. you do pitch to a publisher, that they will sometimes go around or to a feedback with yes. you before they give you a decision. Yes. And that's not necessarily because you're doing it on spec or something. It's because they want to know if you're good to work with. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the and how you accept feedback and how you internalize it. And so, not that you not that you would never you you have to send them a second updated build or anything. Yeah. That's isn't always going to be the case. Um that wasn't the case when I the publishers that I had meetings with mm. where they talked, you know, talked it out. They're like this here's some thoughts we had. Could you to ask a question, answer a question about this. What about this? Blah blah blah. And then you know, uh, yeah. I would I would have to say like, well, we could do it that way, and here's why we did it this way. And you know, so there's a lot that to kind of get an idea for how you are to work with and how you are accepting mm -hmm. feedback. Yeah. And then that helps them know if they want to work with you or not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not going to be the only thing, but it's going to be a big part of it, right? Because they could see a, a build that doesn't isn't really there. Yeah. But they know they can have a meeting with you and decide and know that well. But I believe this person can get it there. And so having your milestone geared towards, like when you things are broken or unfinished, like sometimes that's still good enough for your milestone. Yeah. If that's the milestone mm -hmm. you're at, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I mean, this, this is really a big way of saying it could be anything. <laughs> it's just the more you think about it, the more important. Uh, yeah. The the more you'll get out of it, the more um, purposeful your yeah. the work you put into. To yeah, that, yeah, to that and, milestone. and and I think the benefit a lot of like you know having a milestone is frankly you know you get to a point where you're checking yourself and making sure that what you're working on can be a finished thing. Yes. Um cuz like if you work on something for so long like if you work on something for 6 months and you don't like make a build of it or mm -hmm. you know like have other people look at it stuff then you don't know whether or not it's going to be worth other people's time. Yeah. You haven't yeah cuz you haven't people haven't seen it and I'm positive that publishers will get nervous if you're just working on a thing for 6 months and they haven't seen the product. I I'm getting nervous, and I'm not even a publisher. I'm just <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. You went six months without getting feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Um, so, like, I think it, it, it's a it's a gut check um, mm -hmm. to be able to have those kinds of things, and it motivates you to you know get to the, a a point to to 
to be able to yeah. you know show the game off. And that's a really good transition to the rest of this conversation, which yeah. is independent of like stakeholders. Like mm. if you're just an indie team, yes, and you you know you're going to self publish, or maybe you've you've decided to, or you that is in one of your it's one of your plans, yeah. Or one of your options. Mm-hmm. Um, what value is a milestone build to you if you're, you know, like let's say you're doing regular play tests and, and you're just doing your builds and it's fine. You're not really going to show it off. You don't have one of these reasons necessarily. Would you still want to do something like actually put effort towards a milestone build yeah. in this as we've been describing it? And I say maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, it's all, sure. it's all maybes right, here. Yeah. But I think a lot of times it can really help the team focus. Yes. I know that when we were doing Widget Satchel, we would we'd have these artificial deadlines related to events or or we would put it on a calendar. Right. Like it should be done by this time. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful. I don't know that we were super organized about that yeah. or, or, or regimented. I think that having arbitrary deadlines are not great. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I take that back. I think that they can be great, but they just don't work for me is what I should really be saying. <laughs> um, because I think like, like having an actual you know place where you're going to present it where you're kind of on the line for it mm-hmm. yeah. helps me. Helps me, helps motivate right, me. Right, you don't believe stuff. it if it's just, yeah. let's have it if by it's Thursday. Just a thing, if it's just, yeah, well, you know, we'll yeah. do this at this date and it's just a random date, then it doesn't feel like a real important date. Yeah. Well, what happens yeah. if there's nothing that can put a real date on it? What do you do then? Oh, uh, well, they make one. You can make one. You can make an event. Is that okay. you guys sit on Fingeons? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it shows. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe that's it. You have to decide what kind of team you are, right? Like, right, if you feel yeah. you can, you can, if you can be that kind of like agile sprint style, yeah. where it's mm-hmm. like every two weeks or every three weeks or whatever thing you want to do, we'll yeah. have something that's that's representational and is much more, you know, much more of a finer point on on this thing. Right. That's one thing. But if you're the kind of team that really needs an excuse, then you have to find ways to make them. Yeah. Well, right. The interesting thing, and just sort of channel my little shoulder, Eric, that I always have. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, my husband, as I've said many times, is on this show before as an agile coach, uh, scrum, you know, scrum practitioner, and all that. And one of the things that happens at least in Scrum is the sprint review. Yeah. And so it is be- because of that very thing that you just mentioned, Stephen. Yeah. Psychologically, like the deadline has to be a real thing. Right. You know, the, having a regular deadline is helpful for the team mm-hmm. to work towards because yes. it creates that that's that that pressure, um, not too much pressure, but the right amount of pressure to work towards like a finish line. But then also having that sprint review where you're taking your thing and you're putting it in front of your stakeholders and some of the users and your sponsors, or in this case, your your publishers, mm-hmm. um, that that is the thing that makes it a real thing, not just a deadline that somebody picked and said, wouldn't it be nice if we had it by Thursday? Yeah. yeah. Right. You got to have it done by Thursday because you got to plan your sprint review on Friday morning and then you have your sprint review on Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you have your retro or whatever if you're following a scrum cycle. Um, and so I guess, you know, it's interesting to me, some of the things that you've noted here and some of the things that you've mentioned um, really seem to align with that kind of practice because when you're doing a sprint review, you are, you know, your product owner and your team um, are going to be planning, like, what are you, gonna, you know, what are you d- demonstrating in the sprint review? Like, you, there, it should be completely transparent with your stakeholders, with your customer, what you were working on in that sprint. And it shouldn't really be any surprise what the most important things that you were focused on in that sprint were. Right. And then you go and you, you, you share what you got done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like that while maybe the mechanics of Scrum are not necessarily something that you're applying with your team, Mark, the the overall um, approach towards these milestone builds for your publisher does have some of the same themes. Yeah, I've definitely found in, in small teams, like a full agile workflow is too much scaffolding. 
very frequently, hmm. um, even when you scale it down, because a lot of times that review happens, like, especially if we have a team of really good communication, it, it happens in real time in a way that is not helpful to save up for necessarily. Hmm. But you still, but like you miss out on all the benefits that structure provides right. if you don't have anything like it. Yeah. Um, and so it's definitely a case where you do want to make sure that, yeah, you have a purpose for those milestones. And if you have to invent them, then actually just having team meetings, it can be good enough because like, even if you're not employing a full scrum, you know, workflow, um, you're still getting the benefits of like reflecting back on work you've done, yeah. Yeah. which is a big reason why you do workflow like that. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I think, maybe the last real benefit I think why you want to have, I don't know about regular, but like you want to have enough of these mm. instead of just waiting this huge amount of time uh, where everything's in an almost finished state until it's ready to show, right. is that you? it's really nice to have a build in your pocket for when things come up. Yes. And you can, you'll keep working. Right. But you have a build from two weeks ago that mm. is that you can use for the next month and a half. Yep. For when you need to send to somebody, when you want to, like somebody says like, hey, you know what? I know someone who can maybe help you guys out. Could you have a build I can show? Mm. And you don't need to yeah. rush to make one. Yeah. Right? Oh, because gosh, the yes. one you have is not too old to show. Yes. Right? And so that is a really important thing to have in your pocket, especially if you don't have a publisher, especially if you're waiting for opportunities if you're hoping on them, you don't have to plan everything around this meeting's coming up. Let's you know, get the milestone done for that meeting. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fine. But what happens if you've got a meeting a week from then? Like, you, you know, you're going to waste that week, like not working or like, yeah. no, just keep working, but you have a build. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that will, that will last you for a while. And then once it starts to get a little old, once it start once you realize, once the feedback you've gotten tells you that maybe you should probably make another milestone, make another milestone. Yeah. Um, and then that mm -hmm. becomes the one you send around. Right. Um, and so just having that, yeah, having that in your pocket, it brings a lot of stress off of you. Yes. Because you know it's something you can give to someone. Right. And maybe you have to include a readme. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, or or maybe you, you, you trust that it has a this sort of temporary onboarding or offboarding experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, whatever it is, there's no rules. Mm -hmm. um, it, but making sure you have something that you're proud you're not worried. You're not like, oh, the only build we have is from four months ago, and it was before we made this big change. Right. It's so so we're garbage. Gonna, we're going to have mm -hmm. to do another one of these. Like, if you find yourself in that position, it's you're it, you're already too late to have made that decision. Yeah. Um. I mean, if you're in that position, make the best of it and see yeah. if you can get something done. But that can lead to crunch if you have a deadline that just gets sprung on you. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, man. That, I mean, I like that as an idea. Ultimately, your whole goal should be avoiding crunch. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a big part it. of working, like yeah. just to make sure that our next our next milestone is in two months, mm -hmm. which means this this is what we got to get done in three weeks. This is what we got to get done. We need we don't have need a week of buffer because we know we're gonna add things that aren't in the milestone. Yeah. One of the things we did we did a lot more localization work uh, in this last milestone than was than we, it was asked for mm -hmm. because I put in enough work to to like a staging work yeah. that was the, in the next milestone, we're going to have a lot more localization, but we just had so much of it ready to go. That is that I, the last minute I was like, let's see what we can put in there. And that was a nice surprise. Yeah. Um, and so it's not always going to go to plan, even up to the last day, oh, yeah. it's going to be sure. slightly different from what you expect. Right. But, um, but knowing what you're, what you're aiming for means that if I looked at that and I said, well, this is going to take me a couple extra days to get this work done, to surprise them. 
mm-hmm. I don't have to. Like yeah, I, can, yeah. I can just be, all right, I'm not going to bother with that because it's not what we agreed to. And right? there might be something more valuable that you can work on immediately. Exactly right. Right. Like in this yep. case, in this specific case with this localization work, it was coming up in the next milestone build, right? So yeah. like it seemed like a good, really good judgment call. I'm not on your team. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, at least from the way that you framed it, yeah. the work that you did was a really good judgment call to do that. <laughs> well, um, all of my other work was done. Uh, yeah, because exactly. I had gotten it done for the milestone. Right. And so I just was like, am I going to sit on my hands or am I going to see if I can get one more yard down the, yeah. the field? You yeah, know? exactly. And that's what, that's what, that's the psycho, like that's the psychological stuff that a system like Scrum for existence tries to, you know, t- tries to uh, mechanize, like make. Formalize. Formalize, yeah. yeah tries to formalize. Um, but it don't, you don't have to follow a formal system like that to mm-hmm. be able to take advantage of those tricks. Yeah. When they're, you know, when they're useful, then apply them, and you don't always have to be working in a sprint system. And and then when you you feel like you need to to work towards a milestone, then then apply those systems for yourself. But yeah, it's attitudes. Yeah. It's also really why it's helpful to study these systems, even yeah. if you're not going to adopt them. Yeah, because then you can know what the benefits are, and then you can find your way to get those benefits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really do like the idea that you pulled something that was coming up next that was going to be high value and was also going to showcase well like that that's exactly the kind of thing that you were suggesting yeah. people do when they're planning towards a milestone yeah we got to be on the call with the publisher as they discovered it um yeah so that, that was a cool little moment of magic so yeah those kinds of things are fun because i mean you, you you want to impress people but you also want to like have some fun with it right like, yeah, yeah absolutely you want them to really like see the value and like the work you're doing and delight them and just like you would a player you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and a lot of times that is a player, the, if, you know, yeah. certain types of builds you're doing. So Yeah, would, I mean, getting a game done, great. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And getting a game done when people didn't want to, like, kill each other on the way? Yeah. Awesome. Aim <laughs> <laughs> for that. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, so, I, you know, I was saying we're going to announce this game pretty soon, which means our next milestone Time is being eaten up by us planning this announcement, right. which was which is not yep. part of our schedule. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so we have assets to produce and make sure that there are things about the game that'll show off good in screenshots and clips mm. that that um, that we want to, we need to prioritize. So we've we we scheduled our work for this in the middle of this sprint, and but and so that we have enough time after we're done with that to make sure that we can at least assess whether we can meet all the original features that we planned for the next build. Or if we've taken, or if we've taken too much time away because there were certain things that weren't part of this milestone but needed to be done for the reveal trailer, yeah, and then then we can go back to the publisher with a, with plenty of time hmm. to to readjust. That's interesting. I, I would have expected, I guess, um, especially like working with a publisher, that you would have you guys would have had some visibility about those needs um, for that work ahead of time. Well, part of it was that every milestone we we, we check, is it, is it time now to plan an announcement? Ah, oh, okay. So okay. do we have enough to do? How much do we want to show in a video? Yeah. How much do we want to tease and not show? How much is not enough? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and I imagine like timing is important with, with all kinds of announcements. Timing yes. Is important so the public, it's up to the publisher, I think, uh, you know, they, they've certainly taken the responsibility of, of scheduling it. Yeah. But it, they, we want to make sure that we have it at least like like right now it's March 3rd we'll be when you listen to this we'll we'll be done with this mm. but we won't so hope that we've got some time to sit on it so that the publisher has a can make they can pick the best time yeah. rather yeah. than the moment after we're finished yes um right. but every, every the last two starting with the last the milestone before last is when we started having this discussion are we ready yet no mm. and then the last one's like well we last one we started planning for it 
But then we quickly realized, no, we're probably not going to be able to get it done through during this milestone. We'll push to the next one. Okay. Um, and so that was those discussions were always ongoing. Yeah. Um, and I know there are some teams where those pl- those announcement plans are planned much further in advance. Sure. But our publisher was being very flexible because they've made the assessment that it's not better or worse to announce sooner or later. Yeah. So we're, we picked a good time when our last milestone was a little bit of he- ahead of what we planned. Um, and this upcoming milestone is going to have a lot of stuff that the reveal needs anyway. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that's already done. And so hopefully it'll be so. But we'll have to decide once we get through it, um, then we'll decide, like, how much has this moved our, our you know, our plans? Right. Um, and we've given ourselves enough time yeah. to account for it. I'm realizing that a lot of the benefit of a milestone is just so you as a developer know how well you, how far you've come. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of it, right? Like mm-hmm. You can look at your product and go, dang, I made this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I think that's important. Yeah, and that's when it comes down to like scheduling how often you do this, mm-hmm. right? Like, if is it gonna if you're gonna do sprints, you're gonna do you know that's pretty frequent, right? And that works for some teams. Yeah. And if you're gonna do it with publisher milestones, that the, that schedule is determined for other reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We 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 tacked onto it and made it work for us, and that that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and but maybe you want to move a little bit faster than that because you have a larger team, and so you need to be able to share around. You yeah. need a bunch of people's kind of um. Uh, gut check on a on a complete piece of work before all those departments can continue on. Yeah. Um, so that they're not all talking to each other all the time and having meetings every day mm-hmm. when they can just hopefully just be set to their work. Yeah. Uh, but if that's the case, then you want to make sure everyone checks in every now and again. And so that might maybe you need it more than than, than every quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't need it weekly. So that's going to be that is really dependent on your team, your project, uh, what these milestones are for. Yeah. Um, but if you're not thinking about it at all, then everything will be a surprise. Yes. And you really shouldn't be in that situation. You don't want to do that. Yeah. And you it, avoid if you're going to be casual about it, you you don't have a you don't need you don't need a regular schedule. Yeah. Um, but you you should have some sort of system. And if it's just between you and your team, um, find those reasons. Yes. Because it it from it comes so much good. You guys know Brad Zealot? Yes. Who's Brad Zealot? They're on our Discord. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Getting called out, I guess. <laughs> our Discord? Yeah, we have a Discord. You have a Discord. People, people come on it. We talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Zealot's kind of new. Been around for a couple weeks now. And we've been talking about stuff like the Expanse Telltale series game that's coming out. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. And... Brad Zellett and Lane have been talking about interview episodes that we've been releasing um, and it's been a really good time so you yeah. guys should come on you guys who are listening now you should join our discord and, and chat and have cool usernames like Brad Zellett <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when a new person shows up into the discord channel and brings their own like this is the episode I listened to recently and here's the thing I have to say about it yeah and like, and That's then fun. it guides the conversation and it, it adds dimension to, to the audience which is just so cool to see um, and really, if you're not, you know, putting your dent in the Nice Games Club universe, I mean, what excuse do you have? Like, you, come, <laughs> come, come join us. Yeah, come make dents. Come yeah. hit stuff. What? Yep. Yep. I know. Metaphor's falling apart as, as we speak. <laughs> uh, NiceGames.club slash Discord. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Ellen, you introduced my topic. So, Stephen, you introduce Ellen. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let me think. Let me think. Um, you said earlier you'd have a lot to say about this I, one. 
Why did I say that? What did I want to talk about? Oh, Kirby, I know. Kirby, probably. Yeah, it was Kirby. <gasps> Kirby. He always wants to talk about Kirby. Yeah. Kirby. Kirby. How many Kirbys do you have in your desk That's your now? topic, right? Is Kirby? No, no. I, oh. Why would I steal that topic from you, yeah, Stephen? I would never point. do I would that be to you. so offended. <laughs> would you be so mad? I, I mean, like, so if I ever want to be lazy, I'll just say, my topic's Kirby, Stephen. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's not Kirby. It is... Wikis and guys. We really nailed that. That was a great handoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, why did I choose this as my topic? I think something's interesting for me is that there are some game franchises that I have engaged with only through the wikis and guides. Oh, really? Like, oh, yeah. um, it's like, for example, Dark Souls is a parallel to this, but I've only ever engaged with Dark Souls and Bloodborne by watching Eric play. Mm-hmm. And I really sure. enjoy watching him play those games. And I kind of, I'm one of those people who just likes watching other people play games. And I know that's not a, everybody not everybody likes doing that but i like watching people play games and i don't really like playing the dark souls games by myself yeah even though i crushed that first boss the one time i tried it <laughs> the first time <laughs> kicked it off the roof nice Just nice retired nice. Um, undefeated yeah and that's good enough for me uh but i um i only engage with that franchise by like watching eric play and talking to him about it although i know like a ton of the lore because i went on all the wikis and the guides yeah so it's like Oh, tell you know what? What's this boss's name? And he'll he'll tell me the boss's name, and then I'll go to the other side of the room and pull up my phone and pull up the <laughs> fandom.com page and read everything about that one boss and mm-hmm. all the lore that people have figured out or made up or whatever. Yeah. And there, there's I think another couple of franchises that I that I've engaged in that way, like Warhammer. I don't play the Warhammer games. I don't have the space <laughs> in my <laughs> That's house. The whole thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember as a kid, you needed to have a friend with a pool table or a ping pong table. Yeah. To play. <laughs> Yeah. One or the other would do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I have a few friends who are really into it. And it's just like, at some point, you're so far behind the curve that there's a why even start. Just appreciate yeah. it through what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. But I do really like reading the Warhammer stuff on fandom.com <laughs> because that stuff is wild. <laughs> um. Anyway. And so that's why I was thinking about like, well, wikis and, wikis, wikis and guides is something I'd like to talk about just because like, actually, it's something I really appreciate Um. the work that people put into uh, put into those resources. Right, yeah. And, you've, and I'm sure we've all been there. We've been stuck on a game of some sort because we couldn't figure something out or we got lost or there was a, some strategy, some boss that just we couldn't get past. Yeah. And we went and found somebody to help um, because some wonderful soul out there like typed up a guide or recorded a video and then it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to shine a little bit of light on that stuff and the work that people do. Um. Now, printed guides used to be a thing. Yes. Not really so much anymore, they're though, right? They're still no. a thing. Okay. But not nearly as, they're, frankly, they're not nearly as good. I think hmm. we talked about this. when We, we talked about this. We had strategy guides as a topic yeah, a long yeah. time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, and I, I, I don't remember if I brought it up on the show then or not, but like I used to have a bunch of like Donkey Kong Country uh, strategy guides that my parents had, I think, and we just played, me and my brother just played the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the new Donkey Kong, well, it's not new anymore, but Donkey Kong Country Returns and Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze came out. I got the guide for Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. It was just way worse. Like, <laughs> it just, it, like, you still got, I think you still got the fancy poster. But, like, other than that, like, it, it, it just, there wasn't a lot of, like, I think a lot of, like, old strategy guys had, like, exclusive art and stuff in, yeah. in, in some of the pictures and yeah. things. Um, that they just don't well, I think have it, anymore. It's a smaller market. It's a smaller market. Because fewer people need them. Yes. Right? Because the internet exists. But also, because there are more resources, the demands on those guides to be comprehensive is way lower. 
That's true. And so yeah. a lot of times they are just a mat. They are sort of like the sort of like collector's edition bonus right. kind of. They're not always not always in that context, but like yeah. it's for a super fan who wants a totem to yeah. go along yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. And so it has that value, and so it doesn't always have to be. Yeah, I, I'm kind of apologizing for it, but it's sort of true. Well, it's like half guide, half art book. You know, like there's a whole section in Barnes and Noble that has these things. You can go in and look at them. And it's really not about like, you might not go there to go learn how to play the game, but in taking that book home or, you know, you open it up as your birthday present, you read through it and you're looking at the art and you're looking at the imagery and you're looking at the concept, you know, sketches that were in there and you are getting kind of like a kick of nostalgia as you're going through and playing. It's like, that that makes sense to me. It's not really so much about the strategy as it is about like just triggering those memories and, and feeling you know, like looking through a photo album of your favorite vacation. Yeah. Except for it's, you know, Donkey Kong country mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> Donkey and Diddy throwing barrels around. Yep, yep. They do that. They do that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, the printed guides, they're still a thing. There's still a market. The market is a little different, though, because it is more about, like, the product of the guide rather yes. than the information contained therein. Right, yeah. Because if you're looking for help... Um, or you're looking for lore and background and things because you've lost track of how many Warcraft games they've made. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go online, right? And yep. you're going to somebody who like streams a game specifically and you're looking at their library of Twitch streams that they recorded and put out. Or you're going to fandom.com and you're looking at all the community created pages on there. Um, or you're going to like strategy, a strategy page, a strategy wiki or whatever else. There's just so many. It's we can list a few in the show notes, but you know, Google it and you'll find them. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I found IGN. I was like, oh, is, are they making? They don't know. I was thinking, like, do they make sponsored strategy content? Nope. They have a wiki. Yeah. They have a wiki. Uh, so a lot of it's community created content when it comes to actually looking up the strategy. Yeah. For how you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to do the thing. Yeah. yeah. One interesting caveat to that is a place like Polygon. Or Kotaku, or any of the where you generally assume you'd find news and not much else. Mm-hmm. They a lot of those sites and IGN, I think maybe they do. Maybe I'm not sure if they do it, but um, they, they will. Guides. There are guide writers yeah. mm-hmm. who, as quick as possible, try to get that content up because yeah. basically to get the traffic. Yeah, they're never yeah. linked on the homepage. They're always just from Google searches yep. because they're not. And they're really they're an important part of like the viability of those online outlets mm-hmm. because when you have eyeballs on those pages, so they just ha- they just have raw content, like in that sense. Yeah, and that's so weird because you don't always think of that as a place for it, but when you Google how do I get through level one or whatever, you're like, why am I looking at this, like uh, you know this uh, games journalism site that is doesn't have any there's not even a button on the homepage for guides like why yeah. right. is this there or at least it's not well. It's not well promoted because it's not something they promote, mm-hmm. yeah. but they do it because they want traffic and right. they need it. Exactly. And, and you know, they I'm sure that they get their early access by being part of the press. Mm-hmm. So they can play through it early and they can figure out that level one and they have that article ready to go when the public release hits and everyone's like, I don't understand where I'm supposed to shoot yeah. to get past this stupid door. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't gotten stuck on Metroid Dread yet. I, whenever, whenever I feel like I'm stuck, I just shoot everything, and it always gets to where I need to go. Yeah, yeah. Shoot everything, shoot things in the face. That's how you play a Metroid that's game. That's the game, really. Yeah. Jump around and shoot stuff. Right. I should, you, you should write a guide just with that. <laughs> I mean, Polygon and Kotaku and all these yeah. people already have them up there, yeah. but- I Ultim- could... Ultimately, the better guides are the ones that community writes later, right? The wikis. For sure. Right? For sure. Because they're, you know, they're actually interested in like the proper, correct- 
discovery of what the actual you know and they're more in depth a lot of time i mean yeah. to be fair to 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 like you know larger publications they're trying to do this stuff day one so that they can get you know oh, so they're people always see missing them. a ton of stuff and yeah. they yeah because yeah, like you know there, there's a lot of time pressure to get all that stuff done so mm-hmm. i understand that but like yeah when you get like community created things they're a lot more in depth and so you can get in to a lot of, you can better understand why these things work a certain way, mm-hmm. and better understand that and use that knowledge to be better at the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which has been, you know, it's very good. And it used to be what Game Facts would be that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and it wasn't Wiki exactly, but yeah. there'd be someone who'd write a guide, and they would be the author of that guide. Ah, uh, good time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's still happening, right? It is, I think, yeah. but it's not nearly as popular. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, there are video guides and stuff yeah. that weren't really as much of a thing back then. Yeah, it's um, a ton of YouTubers. And it's a lot, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot easier to understand what you need to do. Like, if you're just trying to get past a certain thing, it's easier to just watch somebody get through a certain thing. For sure. Yeah. yeah than it is to, like, look through this guide. You know, that's funny. I never look at, I never see video ones. I, there's always the, mm-hmm. when you search for something, like, how do you get, you know, if I'm stuck and I go to Google. Yeah. Uh, you'll see video results on YouTube of a bunch of different people walking it through. But I just want the hint. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay. And so I, yeah. I actually sometimes look for the worst written guide. Yeah. The most sparsely, <laughs> so that I don't, so I can just... Here, okay, that direction. Okay, I'll try that. Right? Yeah. And just to maintain a sum of my dignity. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm super glad that you mentioned that because I feel the same way. Like, I, you know, if I'm really, really stuck, like I got stuck on that, what was it, year 63 or 61? I can't remember of um, 7 billion humans. Oh, still uh, haven't progressed. Um, understaffed sorting, right? Yep, that's the one. I just finished that one last night. You finished it? It's very hard. <laughs> High five. <laughs> I definitely looked that one up and had to find the solution on YouTube. And I looked it up on YouTube specifically because I wasn't at a situation where I wanted a hint. I was like, give me the answer. I am done with this. Yeah. And then I started my trade dread and I haven't picked it up again. <laughs> so you will definitely beat me to the end of that game. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> Which is f- hilarious, but totally fine. And this is fi- this is great because now instead of going back to that video, I'll just be like, Mark, type me out a guide to level 63. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, like in that instance, I did not want a hint. I just wanted a dang solution yeah um and i feel like whenever i say dang i have to like quote steven now as steven <laughs> would said dang solution <laughs> the dang solution the dang solution um but yeah most of the time i just want a hint yeah. and yeah. so i feel like i have to be really careful when i'm looking up that that stuff because i don't really want a guide i want a hint yeah and yeah. then sometimes i get frustrated in my search for finding hints because i don't find anything and i end up just finding a guide anyway yeah, um, and you just kind of look at it a little, but don't like really absorb it, just to, to make it turn it into a hint. Yeah, and it always sometimes works. I always like when I look at the, look up that stuff. I always get to the point where I look at this thing and I'm like, oh, obviously this is how I'm supposed to do it, and then I'm just frustrated because it's like it, I'm either mad at the game for not telling me how to do this correctly, <laughs> which isn't necessarily the game's fault, but sometimes it is. Um, and or well, I'm you mad know how games are made, and sometimes yeah. they don't explain them. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. so, it's hard. Games are hard. Um, but like also like sometimes I'm just mad at myself for not figuring this thing out. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. like I don't know. Either way, I just end up finding myself frustrated by looking up a thing. <laughs> See, I get frustrated before I give in. Yeah. Once I've given in, then I then I, I'm I'm done being mad at myself. Oh, okay. Like mm. that's interesting. Yeah, I get I get frustrated for giving in. I go, yeah. <laughs> but like I don't know. I have... Sometimes you just need to. Yeah. Are there? I feel like I've seen this. Like like guides or or like hints or or walkthroughs that do provide a hint and then follow on for the real answer. I feel like it's a format that must exist. I feel like I have seen it, but I can't 
I can't think of any. I, I know I've seen the same thing, and so I feel like it's very. It's not. It's not a format that I see specifically on a certain site yeah. that I can remember. It might just be certain authors on specific sites yeah. that write that way. It's harder to write them. I mean, that, that requires a lot. That requires some game design thinking. Yeah, yeah in a way that that's thinking instructional design. But yeah, well, for there sure. you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So what I've what I've found as a player when I want hints versus versus like a solution, mm-hmm. I have started going to like my various friends groups saying, "Who's played this?" I'm here. Don't tell me the answer, but give me a hint. Yeah, oh, that's clever. And yeah. then I can kind of mediate my own spoiling. And then there, of course, there. Are, this is outside the scope of the topic a little, little bit, but some games have in-game hints. Yeah, that 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 are calibrated, and and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's too much. Yeah, and and you, and you're not the audience for it, depending on where you are in your journey of frustration of the thing. <laughs> but uh, we were talking about seven billion humans, and every level has a, a hint available. A hilarious hint. And some some of them are really great because, like, yeah. sometimes you don't know how to approach this level at all, and it sets you on a good path. Some of them are do exactly this, and oh. I'm like, that's not what I wanted. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, but it's because it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to write that stuff. It, it is hard to write that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and those are, for the the game designers would be the most equipped to be able to do it. And and so it's it's a lot to ask of of guide writers. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I would love for that to be more common uh, expectation of guides, but I get why it's not common. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. Like the the game designers and developers will be the most equipped to, to write those things. Although, uh, to your earlier point, like it does take a specific type of writing skill to yeah, get to that yeah. level. You have to know exactly. So maybe not. Then. Well, yes, I would say yes and no. Like they as have a, the knowledge, but they need maybe someone to. Well, if they've done enough playtesting, yeah. they should know. <laughs> right. They, they might be able to know where those kinds of hints are needed. Yeah. But the, the way to phrase a hint that's truly a hint um, takes a little bit of... Yeah, they need to get some like mystery writers. Yeah, because you have to have just enough of what you need to make it workable, to make you feel like you've got progress, but you've got to obfuscate the solution. It's hard. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely seen hints... That I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. They're way on the other side. Yeah. Where they're just, just way too obtuse. Yep. And then I'm like, and I'm going to misinterpret it. And then I'm going to be more wrong than before. Yeah. 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 And then you'll end up in YouTube and they'll just show you the solution. And yeah. anyway. Well, so I the other reason I'm really um, glad that you mentioned the fact that devs might have the most, they might be best equipped. Mm-hmm. Maybe not perfectly equipped, but best equipped to write some of those guides is I don't really know if I've ever seen a dev write their own wiki page or get that started and I might, I might just not be aware of it are you guys aware of anyone who's like started their, their a wiki for their own game or written like a starter guide for their own game and if that's if no one has some, why some, not that's just the tutorial right like, yeah well sometimes devs will work with community this is especially true for like early access games yeah, yeah. yeah. when that develop communities yeah uh, early on is devs will work with them to help set them up mm-hmm. right and and be like a sounding board and that's definitely happened the other thing is that like a prime a strategy guide, like the you know the ones you'd find at a Barnes and Noble or something. A lot of times those are produced. There's a writer assigned to it, but then they're produced very much in coordination with mm. the games. That's true. Uh, th- that's not always true, but like for maybe the middle period of like in the late 2000s, yeah. early 2010s, like with mm. that era, I, yeah. I, I can't speak to after that, but um, I think that was very common. Yeah, uh, especially because it would just be. You see all the really great like level art that you couldn't, you'd have to have the developers give you. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so, um, and then you'll look in the credits and you'll see like all the the liaisons and the and then sometimes you'll get writers credits from people who were you know, you know, but there's some coordination. I don't think there's a case where 
a developer has taken upon themselves to do it entirely themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would. I mean, it's that, a lot of work. I mean, it seems. I don't know. It seems unnecessary. Or uh, well, I, I I I say that in like the purpose. Like, I can imagine game developers having a bunch of documentation and stuff for all of the things that they have in their game because like yeah. it helps them keep things on track. But that documentation is meant for the development purposes yep. and not for playing through the game. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like different. Right, right, right. And so like I the It'd be harder to translate that information. It would be harder to, to translate over. that information and it's if if the game is doing a good enough job of teaching people how to play it, they won't need a wiki for guide purposes. Mm-hmm. Or if the game is, you know, dispensing the lore information well enough, they won't need a wiki for lore stuff. Right? Yeah. I mean, unless like people are having a conversation and discussion about it. In which case you don't need a wiki, you need a forum. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um so I think that like yeah, they they I, I can't imagine other than like Prima. I guess, or whoever, you know, when they're making their guides, they come into you and going, how do you beat this thing? Because, you know, it's difficult to write a guide on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine a developer wanting to make a guide or a wiki mm-hmm. for, for, for players. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting because when you think about how guides and wikis, like, fit into the into gaming culture and community overall, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that'll help players get through the game. That's yeah. for one. Um, but it's also a way for these indiv- you know for individual players to connect with other fans and contribute contribute to that community right um and get recognition from other players in that community for their own expertise yeah and it's also it's also a way for those um like the wiki writers and the guide creators uh who, who are doing it not because it's their day job but because they just are part of the community and they like doing it to signal boost games that they like yeah right so like it, if you are picking up a funky little game on steam and you really like it um but you're stuck on a specific thing and then you just keep getting stuck and you look for some guides and there isn't anything out there you might just not keep playing that game because yeah. you got stuck mm-hmm. true. so i i think that was you know in thinking about how i've used guides and wikis i was just thinking about how it's not just about you know letting people get two different parts of your game or documenting what you have in your game but creating additional spaces for your fans, for your players to connect with each other and yeah. to build interest and support around the game. Yeah. I think about like, just for some reason remind me of like speed running where people talk, I always see in speed runs where people talk about like, oh, credit to this person who found this strat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so I think there's a lot of that where if the guide is written by the developer and then the player reads it, it's just, that just feels kind of not fun. But, I, if, I, but if it's written by another community member, yeah. there it feels mm. a little bit. I think it just feels different. Sure. Well, and and that's an interesting point too, because like I think there there are a lot of times when speedrunners in particular work with the developers to like better understand how the game works, so they can use this exploit better. Yeah. Um. Mm. I think there are a bunch of instances, and also like instances where like developer fixes a bug, and then the speedrunners oh, are yeah. like, "No, please don't fix this thing." No, I know about that. <laughs> I, I, but I've never, I've never seen a developer help discover. A, I, I a, think a, it's, a, I think it's exploit. more like they'll discover a trick, and they'll be like, or they'll like randomly discover a thing, and they won't know how to reproduce it. And they'll be oh, like, "Devs okay. help," and then devs will be like, "Oh, this is because of blah blah blah," yeah. and then they use that in that later. Future oh yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. in still, that's the that well, that's still community the, driven. The seed that's flowers from that is exactly. planted by the right, the right, right. But I think like yeah. developers are open to helping people. Yeah. with guides, I think they it just doesn't make a lot of sense for them to create. The guide mm-hmm. That's true. Themselves. Yeah, there's something really flattering too about like you know people are interested enough in your game. 
and th- and then so you want to be involved in that in some yeah, way. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, it is. It has to come from them, mm-hmm. right? For it to be feel like genuine. In a, yeah, in a weird that's a really way. good point. Right. That's you know? a really good right. point. Like I am just a player. I created this guide for yeah. this game that someone else made. Yeah, yeah like I mean, totally if, not me. Like, a, like <laughs> if Nintendo distributed Game Genie codes, like that just would feel weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I I I'm interested in this in 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 from a lore perspective too because I think that a lot of games don't uh don't communicate like the narrative of their games well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes it sound like most games suck. No, no, I mean, <laughs> well, you said it. <laughs> That's not what I heard. <laughs> no, what? Yeah, what I'm saying is that like, I mean, if the game's narrative isn't necessarily the core of the game. Yeah. Sometimes, or it doesn't appear as the core of the game. So, like Dark Souls, for instance, mm-hmm. when you're just playing through Dark Souls and you just like the gameplay of Dark Souls, you don't necessarily have to engage with the lore of it. Yeah. Um. And I think that Dark Souls, if you read into it, or not read into it, but like if you explore and uh, do some critical thinking and stuff on your own with the game, then you'll understand the lore better. Or at least that's what people say. Yeah. You haven't played you gotta them read enough. Those, <laughs> gotta read those item descriptions. Yeah, yeah exactly. All the item descriptions and stuff. Yeah. They'll explain a lot. They don't explain why Seath doesn't really have legs. <laughs> yeah, none of that is clear. Yeah. Um, um, and so as a result of that, like wikis and things are very valuable because like you can just read about that information. I guess it, it's kind of weird though, you know right? I think what you're driving at is yeah. it's helpful to know what is known about this? Yes, yes, yes. Not yes, necessarily yes. what the facts are. Yeah. But what what does everybody understand? Right. Right. So you know you're not missing anything. Yes. You know you're like I I do sometimes like reading wikis for things I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. like just to kind of like confirm, like oh I I, I got it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I understood it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's important and valuable. I guess like oftentimes though I tend to prioritize reading people's discussions about a thing. Like seeing them yeah. discover and understand a thing. And honestly, a lot of times when you're Googling for a result, it'll be a Reddit thread or, mm-hmm. or a forum post or something, not necessarily a formal thing. Yeah. Right. Um, because a lot of people now look for information by searching for it. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm exactly. going to their trusted source. I know that when I, def- when I beat Deathloop, I was like, what the heck does any of this mean? And I looked it up right away and read a bunch of you know people um, talking about it and stuff and was disappointed <laughs> even further. You're but like, this is some nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, I think if I had played um, Dishonored and stuff, maybe I would have appreciated it better. But, sure. Um, yeah, but I think that like that was helpful because like I didn't understand what some of the stuff that was happening, but like reading about how other people interpreted it and understood it helped me better interpret my feelings about the game mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. So, I think that it just has like a lot of those you know community driven, a lot of community driven things just have so much value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, before we. Uh, wrap this topic up mm-hmm. i kind of want to ask what what do you guys think about games you make like what hopes do you have for like you're talking about lore mm. like what do you hope will be out there for games you make like yeah do you, would you would do you would you want a really detailed guide on how to beat the final boss when when it when you put in this really clever solution that you'd hope people would come up with on their own rather than the first frustration will send them there like um i it would have been nice if we got a guy for which it's agile that would have been cool. Yeah. Um. I mean, maybe there is one and we just didn't. The internet is vast. Yeah. It, well, it's like any kind of like engagement funnel. I think enough people have to play it first. Yeah. <laughs> or enough people yeah. to be interested to document this. But like others, that, so. that would be really neat. Yeah. Um, a guide for, for widgets. I, I think for, with respect to Fingence, I just would have liked to see more discussion on like builds and stuff. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. It would, and I actually like with Treasure Stack, there was like conversation things. We didn't. I don't. I think we 
maybe he had a wiki. I don't remember if he mm-hmm. had a wiki or not. Um, but like, I don't know, just more, just like seeing more engagement. I guess is what I want from all the things. And, yeah, you know, yeah. guides or conversations on forums or Reddit or whatever uh, are signs of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would like that's what I want to see. Yeah. I mean, I didn't read a lot of strategy guides when I was young, but I read a, I read the Star Trek Encyclopedia cover to cover. Yeah, yeah. you did. Like, I dog-eared it. Like, so uh, the lore part of it is the stuff that interests me most. Yeah. The the factoids and yeah. stuff. So I think, like, when I think about it, if someone wrote a guide for Widget Satchel, what I would really want them to talk about is, like, is the lore of the game. Mm. Like, uh, the little of it that there is. Yeah. I think that would be something that, because it's, it's, it's all just sort of hanging out in the background, like a lot of games do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be an interesting place to to engage with it. Yeah. Is if someone wrote up a, you know, because we, we leave a lot uh, to imagination, like very purposely. Right. And so the game we're working on right now has a ton of lore and we'll probably will get that treatment. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited about That's that. That's very cool. Uh, for people to like wonder why we called it this or yeah. why it works like that. Just that is so exciting to me. Awesome. Um, hmm. So that, that's kind of why I wanted to ask because for me it's that's the only thing that really is important to me hmm. as a developer is the is the sort of the story, the narrative, the the meaning. And whether that involves the mechanics or the or the difficulty or the, or the you know beating level whatever, fine. Uh, but I'm I'm less interested in people deducing and documenting how to play and beat the game. Well, I built the optimal path and went to Satchel, so <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I want people to see it. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a, 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 a if you wanted to do that, you would need a guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I don't know, Ellen. What do you think? Um, well, a lot of the games I work on are proprietary right they're like you meant for internal use they're yes. not meant for general publication right so these would just be like uh um uh the tests like the answer sheets <laughs> well not really i mean like uh you still gotta have a narrative like mm-hmm. a lot of the things that you want people to do like in a, in a business context or an organizational context you are often training people on decision making mm-hmm. and you are helping them practice uh factoring in different variables and considerations when they're making different types of decisions. Yeah. And the only way that you can actually help people play around with those things is if you give them factors and variables and situations and contexts to work with. Mm-hmm. So how do you make a realistic co- you know, context or situation about a company? You invent a company. Yeah. And how do you make it realistic? Well, you invent people that the player has to interact with. Like, so there is a lot of backstory that, you know, when the game I'm working on right now, we've got a company, we've got a CEO with a backstory, we've got like a few people written out with, you know, stories and personalities and mm-hmm. things like that. I, we don't really know at this point how much of that's going to end up in the game. Um, I don't th- really expect that a player who goes through the game experience and has a fantastic time would be so pumped about it that they'd like want to go get some of that <laughs> that sweet lore (laughs) man now i'm imagining (laughs) that your company makes all these different proprietary products for a bunch of different stakeholders but it's all part of the same expanded universe that would be pretty awesome (laughs) Um, and And then you could actually like if you worked at all these companies in just the right order you (laughs) you follow the journey of you'd see all like oh those two are hooking up like (laughs) you wouldn't know it from just playing one of these I mean, you you make a joke, but like sometimes you just gotta write something fun in there, and so yeah. you do pull a little bit of this. Like there's a there's a yeah there's like an instrument in there that mm-hmm. you you have you find ways to have fun with it, even if you're making content about yeah, like the yeah. most boring stuff. Right, right, right. Um, because as the the boring stuff becomes less boring and it becomes interesting mm-hmm. when you're using that those boring things in an interesting way, and whenever you're you know, dealing with people that you have the opportunity to make things interesting. So I always try to, when I'm writing or creating designs, um, 
for like interactive training, not just not necessarily something that's a full blown game, but just interactive training. Try to find ways to to work in some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it also made me think about is a guide is like ungamifying a game. And mm-hmm. so when you're talking about oh, like yeah. the purposes, the sort of instructional design, the you're gamifying in you know uh, in, instructional processes, and so a guide is ungamifying that, mm-hmm. which it like maybe would be you know uh, self defeating in in those cases, but that is also what you're doing when you look up a walkthrough, yeah, um, on any that's, any other game, yeah, right? Yeah, well, also I mean the thing is is like what what are you trying to in both instances? What are you trying to do? Like when you're trying to build when you're building a game based learning experience or you're building some kind of interactive training or something, your your goal is to get someone to acquire knowledge or skills that they can apply outside of that game context or yeah. that training context. Um, so if they start playing the game and they are stuck on this decision and so they look up some kind of performance support, whether that's an in-game hint or like a PDF that you linked to that's on somebody's SharePoint site, like they were motivated enough to solve this problem real or, real or fantastic to look up that resource. Well, that's a motivated individual that will go and look up resources out on the job when they when they you know go find something when they find themselves in a similar situation. And when it comes to players, if you're doing something for entertainment, I mean, your player is in charge of their own entertainment, right? Like mm-hmm. they have to be by almost by definition. It's like this isn't Clockwork Orange. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you gotta they're gonna have their own fun, and they're always gonna be in charge of their own fun. Otherwise, it's not fun. But yeah. just like just categorically. Mm-hmm. So if it's more fun for them to take five minutes to look something up and be like, oh, that's what I thought I would do. But I'm going yeah, I'm going to try it. Or ah, I read that. I wonder if this is a better way to do it. Like, it's just part of their experience. Mm-hmm. So. Right. There's no wrong way. There's no wrong way. Yeah. That's our show. For show notes and links to today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at nicegamesclub where Dale tweets about game dev resources and folks playing Fidgets. All right. We liked hearing from you, so tweet back. Or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Oh, boy. (laughs) I emphasize that too hard. (laughs) Get stuff. Get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. So, until we start again, remember to... Play nice and make nice. Part of their experience. Mm-hmm. So, right, there's no wrong way. There's no wrong way. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you, you, how how else are you supposed to figure out why the moon, the moonlight butterfly, is the way that it is? You gotta go. It's not the game's not going to tell you. You gotta go get help from your fellow Dark Souls players. Okay. Yeah, that's where it was. I was like, <laughs> Dark Souls. Yeah. Got it back to Dark Souls. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>